0: Love, talk, radio. Welcome, world. Welcome once again to Tuesday Talk with Key West Lou. I am your host, Louis Patron. Well, the big thing this evening is this is the night of the results of the New York primary. Uh, the polls just closed in New York. Uh, I have no reports as yet. Uh, here we go. They're projecting the winner in New York of Donald Trump. And they're saying that he's going to get 55 delegates, which means, which means that uh, he didn't get all 95, so he did not get 50 uh, percent of the vote. Nothing yet on Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders. Too close to call. Something else comes in, I will let you know immediately. Yep, Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders. Too close to call. Wouldn't it be a hell of a thing if Bernie Sanders won? Oh, my God. Uh, this guy has come from nowhere. <laughs> he was in left field. He was in last place. He wasn't even supposed to be in the running. And he's doing a hell of a job. you got to give the man credit. Uh, tonight we're going to talk about some interesting things like Saudi Arabia, the Boston Marathon. Uh, we're going to go back 25 years to the Clarence Thomas confirmation hearings where Anita Hill Uh, appeared in effect against him. A new way to make your IRS payments, you can make them to 7-Eleven. Would you believe that? Uh, Okay, let's go. Starting now with Saudi Arabia. Something interesting has come out this past week. There was a study done by a Dr. Kevin Barrett of the Scientific Panel Organization, and he says... And he says this is all part of the 28 pages that our government will not release on a post-9-11 committee. They were supposed to tell us why all this happened, and 28 pages uh, have not been presented to the public. We've got it all but 28 pages, and the 28 pages concern Saudi Arabia. He said part of the things in the 28 pages is the following which doesn't surprise me if it's true, because everything's so screwed up in the world with everybody and everything. The claim is that 15 of the Saudis, 15 of the 19 Saudi terrorists that blew up the Twin Towers, were on the payroll of the CIA. They were CIA agents working for the United States. They had CIA employment visas, okay, This is pretty wild. Uh, Now, they were also, okay, getting paid by Saudi Arabia. And that's what the 28 pages are going to introduce and um, make us aware of. They're getting paid by the United States, by the CIA. They're officially on the payroll of the CIA, and they're getting paid. They're on the payroll of Saudi Arabia. Now, Because Saudi Arabia was financing these people with regard to the Twin Towers coming down. Interesting stuff. The president announced yesterday that and very shortly he will make a decision whether he's going to release those 28 pages. I suspect he will. I suspect those 28 pages have not been released all these years because the information is detrimental to our relationship with Saudi Arabia. It's going to show that Saudi Arabia knew about the attacks and financed the attacks. Now, why the hell they did all this, I don't know, but we are going to find out, which brings another thing into play here. And this came out last Wednesday. Wednesday. Saudi Arabia has threatened to ruin the economy of the United States. Uh, we have Treasury notes out there. United States securities in various countries, various people buy them. Uh, the third largest holder of our securities is Saudi Arabia. It's always been considered a good investment, U.S. Treasury bonds, all right? Well, And they're making money off this thing. Well, they're threatening us now, and they've officially threatened us, that they are going to sell them all at once on the open market, which means it would, in effect, disrupt our economy. It could destroy our economy. Now, why? It would break us. It would break us financially. You just don't do things that way. Uh, And Obama's aware of this. He's been meeting uh, this past week with Federal Reserve officials uh, to determine what are we going to do if this does, in fact, occur. Now, why is Saudi Arabia, these are our friends, remember, these are the people that gave us $4 a gallon gasoline. Never forget that. They are our friends, and they shoved it up our back ends with $4 a gallon gasoline. Well, what's happening right now is, There are many lawsuits pending in the courts, and there's also legislation pending before Congress uh, to permit Saudi Arabia to be sued uh, by the families of the victims and or the victims of 9-11. Thus far, uh, it has not been permitted legally. It's been prohibited. You can't bring Saudi Arabia into these lawsuits. Because if Saudi Arabia is sued, okay, the mere fact of suing them will give the right to the victims to freeze their assets here in the United States. In other words, once a suit is instituted, we don't have to wait 10, 20 years, they'll be able to get a lock by the court, an official lockdown. Their assets cannot be touched by Saudi Arabia. They must remain where they are until the conclusion of uh, the litigation for fear. This is basic law. Warfare, because this is a foreign country, they're going to take the money out of the bank and run with it. This isn't just treasury bonds. This is a ton of money that Saudi Arabia has in our United States banks. So this is all going on at one time with Saudi Arabia. Remember, they're going to, this is a big deal threatening us financially. Nobody seems to take it seriously. The media doesn't even push it. This is a big issue because if in fact they try it, they're going to screw us up completely and I'm sure we'll have a retaliatory uh, something to do. The president has to have some plan in action uh, to ward this off. So let's see what's going to happen here. The 28 pages, uh, they're going to bust us economically. Again, our friends who gave us $4 a gallon gasoline. Let's talk about the Boston Marathon. It was yesterday. Thousands of people ran. The first time the Boston Marathon was held was, excuse me, on April nineteenth, 1897. Yesterday, 1,000 people ran in the Boston Marathon. In the first marathon in 1897, 15 people ran, 10 finish the race. Isn't it amazing? There was, di- there was and has been over the years until maybe the last 40, 45 years, gender discrimination. Women were not permitted to run in the Boston Marathon until 1972. Would you believe that? Okay. My column this week in Conk Life which uh, will hit the newsstands tomorrow, uh, is titled Clarence Thomas and Anita Hill. Clarence Thomas and Anita Hill. Uh, there was a movie that came out on HOB, uh, made for television this past Saturday night, uh, about the confirmation hearing when he was appointed to be, Clarence Hill was an Afro-American. Thurgood Marshall was the first African-American uh, to be seated on the United States Supreme Court. He died uh, Clarence Thomas was nominated to replace him uh, during his confirmation hearings. We're all familiar with this stuff now, you know, because we have a judiciary committee that refuses to sit and interview and consider uh, President Obama's most recent nomination to the Supreme Court. Well, while Clarence Thomas's hearings were going on, an Afro-American woman who used to work under him, he was her immediate superior was called to testify because she reported during an invest the investigation that he had sexually harassed her 10 years before very important those 10 years 10 years before now I'm a lawyer I want to tell you something this was courtroom drama, in effect, though. It wasn't in a courtroom, these, these, the confirmation hearings. I sat glued to that television set. You couldn't find me in my offices. I, I was secreted away in the back room where there was a TV set, and I watched these hearings all day. I loved it. Uh, it was that way. Now, I'm not going to go into the whole story uh, now. I, I'm just going to tell you the way I approached it, and my decision, and then if you can read the article, you'll find it interesting. I did it. I I didn't present all the facts. I gave a very brief synopsis uh, initially about the facts. What I was interested in was the background of the key people involved in these hearings and their motivations as to perhaps why they said things or why they handled the hearing or did things the way they did. And I zeroed in on what I felt were the five key players in the confirmation proceedings, Clarence Thomas, Anita Hill, Joe Biden, who at the time was chairman of the Judiciary Committee, now vice president of the United States, Arlen Spector, then a United States senator from Pennsylvania, and John Danforth, a United States senator also. And I intertwined from my observation uh, 25 years ago. I watched. I didn't miss a second of this stuff. And the readings I've had over the 25 years, what I think, and the bottom line they came to, with all due respect, Thomas was getting buried. He was getting buried by this woman's testimony until at some point he got very aggravated and he just said, now this is an African-American, all right? He's only the second person of his uh, background to be appointed to or nominated for the United States Supreme Court and he says this is he's a black man this is comparable to a high tech lynching instead of hanging me from a tree you're doing it with this hearing and it was very dramatic the way he quoted he said these words and the the contortions on his face and the pain and suffering the man was purportedly experiencing and it turned it turned the hearings uh, Anita Hill's testimony was no longer considered uh, as being correct, being truthful, being honest. And he carried the day, and he subsequently was—by uh, the way, the Judiciary Committee did not, did not uh, approve him. It was a 7-7 vote. They sent it on to the full Senate, vote for advice and consent. The Senate voted 52 to 48, in over 100 years, the closest, closest vote on a Supreme Court nominee, and it became— and he has been for 25 years, one of the poorest justices, in my opinion, on the United States Supreme Court, probably the worst. And I also believe, and you'll perhaps understand this if you read my article, that Anita Hill was telling the truth, and his statement in court, or not in court, before the hearing uh, committee that you know, he was being lynched, in effect, uh, was connived on his part, made up. Uh, but it carried the date, I think he did what Anita Hill says he did. Please, if you have the opportunity, read my column this week. Let's move on. We're going to the Internal Revenue Service, our friends at the IRS. Uh, guess what? <laughs> you can now pay your tax bill. This is for real. I'm laughing at a 7-Eleven. There are 7,000 7-Elevens in the United States. When you're buying your – I'm not laughing. This is proper now. Where when you're buying a Slurpee, you can pay your taxes. Uh, it's not that easy, though. The government says or the IRS says we're doing this because we want to make it easier for people to pay their taxes. We're really looking to assist those people who do not have a bank account or a credit card. And there are a lot of people like this in the world. I understand that. So this is the way they're doing it. The only thing is every time the government does something, it seems it does it to make it harder for people to do things, They say, oh, we're going to help you, this is going to be easy, and it turns out to be a, a total pain in the ass because here's how the ball is going to be played. You want to pay your tax bill at uh, a 7-Eleven? Go in. It's a bit confusing. Uh, you're limited to $1,000 a day that you can pay limited to $1,000 a day so if you, you owe more than $1,000 you are going to go back day after day each time you go back you've got to pay a fee of $3.99 for the payment uh, this is all done at 7-Eleven via computer pay near me I've heard of PayPal, i never heard of pay near me they're involved and they're going to process your payment involved are two emails that you have to send out uh It just sounds terribly confusing to me. I hope it works. I doubt it's going to work. And we're all probably going to laugh in the next one to two years about all the missteps that are going to occur while they're trying to process these payments. Yesterday, 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 April 18th, big day in American history yesterday, April 18th, a very big day in American history. Number one, uh, let's see, it was April 18th, 1942. World War II, it started. The Japanese had bombed us at Pearl Harbor on December 7th, 1941. Uh, here, basically four months later, four and a half months later, Jimmy Doolittle, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Jimmy Doolittle, uh, led bombers to Japan off of a carrier. And he bombed Tokyo and other Japanese cities. It was the first retaliatory act by the United States in World War II. And it, it should be remembered because it was they knocked the hell out of us at Pearl Harbor. And we got back at them. You know, they, they thought, how could we bomb them in Japan? They were safe. They never conceived that we were trained some of our pilots to take bombers off of a, uh, a carrier, which we did, and we bombed them. God bless. And then we beat them ultimately, which was even better. Yesterday also uh, has to do with the American Revolution. Paul Revere's ride, 1775, April 18, 1775. We all know the words, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Listen, my children, and you shall hear of the midnight ride of Paul Revere. Okay, to arms, to arms, the British are coming. Well, very interesting and historically correct, made popular only because of Henry Wadsworth Longfellow who wrote a poem about him. Because Paul Revere that night only rode 20 miles shouting, to arms, to arms, the British are coming. 20 miles, that's as far as he went. There was somebody else that was riding that night. This was all pre-planned. Revere had to ride, and Israel Bissell, (coughs) excuse me, Israel Bissell was another one who was supposed to ride, he was going to ride to the south of Boston and announced, to arms, to arms, the British are coming. But you know what Israel did that Paul Revere didn't? Israel Bissell rode 350 miles over six days, 350 miles over six days. He rode one horse to his death. Then he traveled through Connecticut, New York, and Pennsylvania in those six days, saying, beware, beware, the war has begun to arms, the British are coming. So all I'm trying to show, and he had no one that wrote about him like Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, and all I'm trying to show to you is Paul River did a great thing. But what he did was minuscule. There was nothing in his 20 miles in comparison to 350 miles by Israel Bissell. And so we don't know about Israel Bissell historically unless somebody, as I, share it with you. Now, again, the reason was no one wrote a poem about Israel Bissell until a poem was written more than 200 years later in 1995 by Clay Perry. Clay Perry, a Massachusetts poet. In 1995, Clay Perry wrote Listen, my children, to my epistle. Listen, my children, to my epistle of the long, long ride of Israel Bissell, who outrode Paul Revere and time, who outrode Paul Revere by miles in time, but didn't make a poet's rhyme. Listen, my children, to my epistle of the long, long ride of Israel Bissell, who outrode Paul by miles and time but didn't make a poet's rhyme. Uh, so Israel Bissell got a little attention by the poem in 1995. Sharing with you this interesting, there was another man out there riding who ran for, rode for six days and all those miles, and we don't know about him. Now, staying for a moment with the American Revolution. We know, we are aware, Concord and Lexington, the first two battles of the American Revolution, the beginning of the American Revolution. At Concord, the first shot, the shot heard around the world, was fired. Okay, and then at Lexington, the big battle occurred where the colonists whipped the asses of the British soldiers who were in retreat to Boston and got the hell knocked out of them all the way back from. Lexington to Boston. There's another Lexington that is famous, not just the city of Lexington or community of Lexington, which looks like Concord, New York, uh, Trenton, Saratoga, where battles took place in the Revolution. There was a warship. The new, our new country, the United States of America, had a warship, which they called the Lexington. And during the American Revolution, okay, The Lexington, a United States naval vessel, in a battle off the coast of Virginia, what did they do? They defeated and they captured the British warship Edward. Now, this was our first naval victory by a ship named after Lexington, and the country went crazy at the time. We, this newborn country in which the the colonists had great pride, had beat. The pants of the, the country that had the world's greatest navy, Britain. Okay? And it, everyone was happy in the United States uh, because they knew they had beaten the mightiest on the ocean that day off the coast of Virginia. Oof. Where are we going now? Let's see what's happening here with the primary in New York City. We know I've already told you Trump won, no question. He's now up to 811 delegates. Uh, let's see. Hillary Clinton has 90,000 votes, 61% of the vote. Uh, Sanders has about 30,000 or 31% of the vote. Looks like Hillary Clinton's going to win, though she has not received that we predict or we project designation as yet. Okay, now where are we going next? We're all over the place today. I love it. I love it. Where are we? We're going to Illinois. Do you recall, you'll remember when I uh, uh, refresh your recollection, 2011, uh, the couple's name were Jim and Beth Walder, W-A-L-D-E-R. They are owners of the Timber Creek Bed and Breakfast, Timber Creek Bed and Breakfast in Paxton, Illinois and what is the claim to fame of jim and beth walders well you remember a gay couple wanted to be married at their place of business and have a reception and jim and beth walder says no we don't believe in homosexuality it's against our religion and you can't have your wedding here well this past week <clears throat> excuse me the illinois human rights committee the Human Illinois Human Rights Committee fined the couple, fined eighty thousand dollars, because they did not permit uh, this couple, to gay couple, to marry at their place of business. Well, again, the Walders say homosexuality is immoral, unnatural, and they rely on the Bible. Now, I'm not a Bible expert. I have read the New Testament twice in college. I had I went to a Catholic college. Uh, I had to take a full year's uh, course on the Bible, the New Testament, two semesters. And I don't recall anywhere in the Bible, and I could be wrong. If I'm wrong, you'll let me know um, uh, and by email tomorrow, uh, where God said, you know, man in, on man and woman on woman is wrong. Uh, there's some references indirectly. If there was a strong reference, the Walders would be relying on it. Here's what they rely on out of the Bible. Acts 5, 291. I repeat, Acts 5, 291, and I quote, It is better to obey God than man. It is better to obey God than man. That doesn't tell me that two men cannot be married or have sexual relations or live together, nor two gay women. And they further say, the Walders, if it's discrimination, we must discriminate. Uh, now, I, I'm worried about these people because they already blew 80000 If they don't stop discriminating, there's going to be additional fines, which are going to be more expensive, and they're going to add up and add up. And it's got to break these people eventually. It's got to break them if it hasn't broken them already. Uh, now, here's what I wonder about all this. I admire people who stand up for their rights, but I can't believe, and I don't know any facts about this, but I can't believe that Jim and Beth Walder had their own money on the line, are paying their own legal costs. Some religious uh, anti-same-sex marriage group is financing this. It has to be. It always is. And is going to pay their fines. They're being used. Pay their legal fees, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I would like to know, and I wish somebody would report on this. I couldn't find it. Uh, That doesn't mean the information doesn't exist. I just could not find it. Who is supporting and backing them in this effort? Because let me tell you something, eighty grand's a lot of money in today's economy, and I don't think these people have that kind of money to throw around. Nor the additional eighty on top of eighty they're going to get hit with, because you can't fool around with discrimination. I learned this back in the early '60s when I had a slew of clients that wouldn't rent to blacks, and we had passed a law in New York you couldn't discriminate against blacks in renting. And I'd go to these hearings. And it was difficult, uh, especially I had a, I, I'm of Italian extraction. In my early days, I had a number of elderly Italians as clients, and they would sit there and say, I, I, I know Rent the Blacks. And uh, then they get fined. And some of them had to be fined two, three, four times before they understood, I am going to Rent the Blacks. Because that's the way you have to push anti-discrimination to get rid of it. If people don't want to recognize and understand the law, you make them pay until they do understand it. So, again, I'd like to know who's backing them and is going to pay their bills. I want to talk about about Wells Fargo and Goldman Sachs. Wells Fargo, two weeks ago, admitted deceiving the United States government in 2008-2008. Uh, with regard to where the government insured FHA insured uh, thousands millions of risky mortgages, <coughs> they admitted that they deceived the government and they were they paid a fine, a civil fine of one point two billion dollars. Uh, the vice president at Wells Fargo, Kurt La who was in charge of this, the civil agreement releases him from any responsibility, criminal or otherwise. they have the Wells Fargo was not charged criminally. Uh, nor was their officer. Uh, you got to remember, no banker goes to jail in this country. Remember, too big to fail, too big to prosecute. And, well, it still goes on, even though Wells Fargo admitted, and I quote, deceiving the United States government into insuring thousands of risky mortgage- mortgages. <coughs> Excuse me. They admitted also that and acknowledged and accepted responsibility for doing this from 2001 to 2008 falsely certifying many home loans qualified for Federal Housing Administration insurance. Last week, Goldman Sachs, another big bank in in the screw job which was given to the American public, it was announced was paying a fine of $5 billion. Wow, lots of money. $5 billion. and they were doing for a similar situation for their misconduct which they acknowledged civil settlement nobody's been charged with the crime and assuring their investors that the securities it sold were 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 backed by sound mortgages when they were not and many of the investors in Goldman Sachs lost a ton of money uh I'll tell you something. I am grossly disappointed in my my country that we did not indict and put in jail these people because they're doing it all again today, again. We all know this, and why not? So the company pays a $5 billion fine. Uh, The CEOs make as much as $100 a year, $100 million a year, in a bonus, and they get away with murder. Send one big banker to jail, and this shit, excuse the way I put it, will stop. That's the show for this week. I hope you have enjoyed. Uh, I love doing the show with you every week. Uh, Next week, next week, next week is going to be a new week with more interesting things, probably a little extra politics. I'm going to get back to that. I've been away from it for a while. Uh, This show, many of you are not listening directly to me tonight, but during the course of the week, you're archived. You're archived, I am archived, and you're listening on Block Talk Radio, YouTube. And as of tomorrow morning, this show will be linked to my Key West Lou website. Uh, I wrote a book, I tell you every week. Somebody, go out, people, buy my book. It's been two and a half years now. The World Upside Down, Amazon.com. You can find the book and buy. You will enjoy it. It doesn't cost that much money. 99 cents on the Internet, $3.99 if you wish a soft copy. Great book. Trust me, if you like the show, you will like the book. Thank you again for joining me this week. I look forward to being with you again next week.